Psalm 145. Psalm 145 this morning. Boy, last night and this morning was just so beautiful. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We're so blessed to have the word of God on our laps. Young, old, single, married. Father, we thank you for the free gift of salvation. And again, we pray for anyone that might not know you this morning in this church and in every Bible-believing church in our community. Open their spiritual eyes to see their need for a Savior. We thank you, Lord, for being so good to us by allowing us to have this love letter on our laps that we might know that you are a God of love, but you are also a God of holiness, of righteousness, and of justice. So help us to see all of you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 145, it's a praise of David, a praise of David. And we don't know exactly when David wrote this. Um, I have some ideas, and I'll share those with you. But it was definitely during a high point in his life, as it's a very positive song. Again, if you're new or visiting, the Psalms are actually songs, songs. And it appears that there is peace and prosperity in David's life. And he is praising God for all the various blessings that God has bestowed upon him. And as we will see, David not only praises God, but he points out some of his attributes that caused David to praise God's holy name. So verses 1 through 3, Psalm 145. I will praise you, extol you, exalt you. I will extol you. My God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly do be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable or beyond our understanding or comprehension. See here, David exalts or lifts up the name of his God and notice that he calls him king in verse 1 there. O king, and notice it's capital K, capital K. You see, if David did write this later in his life, he would have been Israel's second king, which if it was, this statement would have been even more personal to David. He would have been through trials, battles, heartaches, disappointment, frustrations. Yet he is able to look back and know. And that's key for you and I this morning. As we sit here in church, it's easy to get lulled into that Christianese. That, well, I'm saved. Well, I'm going to heaven. Well, I had a tough week and I'm frustrated and I'm worried and I'm consumed and I'm anxious with these things that are weighing in upon me. It's easy to get to that place. But David knew that God is king over all. He knew that in life of, in, in the life of King Saul, and he allowed God to become the king of his life. And so I have a question for you. Are we there? Have we allowed God 
to be our king. Make it personal. Am I there? Have I allowed God to be my king? Also notice as we look at these verses here, the personal commitment. David three times says in verse 1, in verse 2, I will, I will, I will. You see, David determined in his heart that he would exalt, bless, and praise God because he is great and worthy of such accolades. You know, in Job 9.10, we read this. He does great things past finding out. Job speaking of God. Yes, wonders without number. Do you understand this personally? Have you come to this place personally? Or do you have God all figured out? You make judgment calls of God. You basically, in your prayers, tell God how things should run. And you don't necessarily pray asking, you pray directing. Maybe he's not king yet. And how about Isaiah 55, 9? As for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the people, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How big is your God? And not necessarily physical, like is he 6'4", 6'6", 6'8"? not talking about that. How big is your God? If you believe in the first 10 words of the Bible, if you really, really believe, then it's easy to make God your king. But do you really believe? Because you see, as we look at the world today, there are a lot of bad things going on. Yet at the same time, if we take a few moments to view God's creation on a regular basis, I think I mentioned to you last week about doves and I was working on the tree fort this past week and there was a dove that was a baby 10 days ago and he had to get out of the way because I had stuff to do. And so he took off, boom, out of the nest, gone, didn't see him again. But just admiring God's creations last night, just sitting out in the backyard and enjoying the, the cool breeze and the shade of the trees and the grass and just looking around saying, God, you are so amazing. You are so good to us. We are so blessed. I mean, do we take the time to do that? To look at God's creation on a regular basis, his handiwork through his creation, but also through mankind, a little baby. We can see God's ways are past finding out, or as David says here at the end of verse 3, they're unsearchable. So since they're unsearchable, does that mean that I shouldn't search? That's not what the psalmist, that's not what David is encouraging you to do. Because as you know, the sweet psalmist, as David was known as, he thought a lot about God. He pondered about God. He wondered about God. He meditated upon God. He searched out God. And so for you and I, we are to call to do the same thing. Even though we might not find out everything about him, we are still called to search. Why? Verses 4 through 7. One generation shall praise your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. Now in order to declare God's mighty acts, you need to realize them personally in your own life what mighty acts he has done. 
How can you declare to the next generation, so to our children or our grandchildren, the mighty works of God, if we don't even see them, if we don't recognize them, if we don't acknowledge them, if we don't know them in our heart? Well, it was just a coincidence that that happened. I personally don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God incidences, where God intersects my life and bring things into my life for a specific plan, a specific purpose and reason. I will meditate on your glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. You see, David encourages the current generation 3,000 years ago. That's when David lived, if you're new to the faith, 3,000 years ago. So for you and I today, not 3,000 years ago, today, David encourages the current generation to show the next generation, so at 59, who would be the next generation in my life? That would be my children, those in their 30s. So is that it? Or is it the next generation, those in their teens as well? Yes, both. And so for you and me, single, married, young, old, don't check out. As I mentioned last week, that's what happened to the church in Europe. I hope you thought about that this week. The church in Europe is nothing like it was 150 years ago. And why is it nothing? Because the generation didn't pour into the next generation and into the next generation and into the next generation. And so for you and I, we're not just here to sit in comfortable chairs with air conditioning and sweet music and good lighting so that we can be comfortable and hear another Bible study. We don't need another Bible study. We need heart transformation. So that as we go out into our mission field, As you go out these doors, you're going to see now entering your mission field. As the church goes out into your mission field, what are you going to take with you? Another Bible study? They don't need another Bible study. They don't care about the Bible. They want to see real Christianity. So you went to church yesterday. Big deal. You're lying to the boss. You're cussing out the boss behind his back. You're stealing company time by taking longer breaks. What good did your church do you? What good did your Bible study do you? I don't want to hear about it. Take your Christianity and get out of my face. Guys, this is real. This is real Christianity. No matter how old you are, young or old, people are looking at you. You are a walking epistle of the gospel. How you treat people. How you take time with people is a reflection on your own personal walk with God. And that's what people need to see. They're not interested in a Bible study, but they are interested in God. They know they need something in their lives because they're empty. So for you and me, we have the opportunity. But are we taking that opportunity to the next generation, the splendor of God's wondrous works? You see, as far as the nation goes, this may have been in reference to the plagues and then the exodus out of Egypt, which was nothing but miraculous. 
And for the Israelites, they remembered that deliverance through what is called the Passover or the Seder meal every year. There is no greater story or time frame that the, than the Exodus and God's provision for 40 years in the wilderness. This could also have been in reference to David's life and how God united the kingdom and brought peace to the nation through him. It could be possibly a third. It might also have to do with the na- with nature as David was a shepherd and loved the outdoors. Many of his songs have that type of influence in them. Or it could be a combination of all three or, or even something else. Those are just three that I thought of. But what about for us today as believers? How can we apply this to our lives today? You see, to me, one of the greatest works of God, besides salvation, is the covenant of marriage. And this is one reason why I emphasize the marriage retreat this morning. You see, one of the signs of the last days, or those days right before the Lord returns for his bride, the church, is that marriage will be counted as worthless, pointless, devalued in the eyes of society. And that has never been more evident in our society than today. And that is why we need to make every effort to restore our marriages to that place of biblical relevance. You see, the next generation needs to know. They need to know this, guys. They just don't need to hear it and not lived out. They need to know what's so important about marriage. Could you explain what's so important about marriage to somebody? To a teenager, a 20-something, who could care less about church, who could care less about the Bible? Could you explain it? You know, what's the big deal about commitment? This is their mindset. What makes a Christian marriage any different or better than living together? And right now we have more people living together in this country than ever before. You know, cohabitating or just having sex with others. What's the big deal? What what do we need a piece of paper for? I've heard that a few times in my life. What do we need a piece of paper for? It's a good question. And why do I think it's one of the greatest works of God anyways? Well, I have a few verses here in Ephesians chapter 5. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And Paul goes on to write this. This is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. Not the having sex, becoming one flesh sexually. No, it's way deeper than that. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. There is a mystery. There is a mystery. And then going back to Ephesians 5.25, here's the mystery explained. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, there the mystery is explained. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the mystery. It's been solved. Jesus came to die for his bride, the church. If you are a believer this morning, you are bride. You are the bride of Christ. Male or female, you are the bride of Christ. 
And Jesus died for you to give you that agape love, that unconditional, selfless, committed love that we as husbands are supposed to exemplify to our wives, that we'll exemplify that to our children and grandchildren and aunts and uncles and unbelievers and coworkers and neighbors, so that they'll see that there is a relevance to marriage. You see, all those things that I mentioned earlier about David, they're still true. God's provision, God's protection, God's creation, they all speak of his greatness. But nothing speaks more clearly about God's greatness than his forgiveness through Christ and the church. Nothing speaks more greatly. That is the greatest work of all. You see, without God's forgiveness, not one believer would be going to heaven No, not one. The only reason you're going to heaven is because God forgave your sins through Jesus on the cross. That's the only reason. Not because you came to Calvary Chapel this morning and punched the clock. And some of you might be here because you're just punching the clock. It's the thing to do on Sunday morning. So that's what I'm going to do. Wrong reason. Wrong reason. You need to repent. You need to repent. Repent means to turn from that idea. God is not pleased with that mentality at all. So as David proclaims here, let's proclaim to the next generation, not just through words, but through real life actions, that marriage is a covenant that expresses Christ's love to the church. Verses 8 and 9, and I actually have these verses highlighted in my Bible. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. David showing God's attributes. Just a few of them. Slow to anger. Anybody happy about that one? <laughs> Praise God. And great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. You see, God is good to all. As you as an unbeliever, God was good to you because you received Jesus as your Savior. That's good. That is very good. And there's other unbelievers that need Jesus. And he is reaching out to them. And how is he doing that? Primarily through the Holy Spirit via you and me as believers. Crossing paths. Planting those seeds. We went out to dinner uh, this past uh, Thursday night. And um, as we do on a regular basis, we ask the waiter, hey, do you need prayer for anything? We're going to pray over our food. And most people are kind of like, you know, they give you that, that deer in the headlight or the dog head routine. Like, oh, well, let me think about that. And, and then he gave us some things to pray about. And, and then he came back and he started to talk to us about a condition, a heart condition he had that my wife was familiar with. And they started conversing. And, and man, the guy was just so happy at the end. You know, we left him a nice tip and all that good stuff. But he was just a good, good waiter and a smile. And, and he kept coming. It was kind of interesting how he kept coming back. And we said, we're going to pray for you. And, and he asked for a prayer for his mom as well. So like, guys, take advantage. Plant those seeds. You just never know. And then, then we got outside and Claudia said, hey, I got a four spiritual laws. You know, the four spiritual laws that can help a person. And at the end of the, the little booklet, it leads a person in a prayer. And she ran back in and she gave the, the waiter the four spiritual laws. Because you never know what Jesus is going to do. But you and I, we're those ambassadors for Christ if we're available. Verses 10 through 13 All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. Notice this. Who are the saints today? If you have Jesus as your Savior, you're a saint. So don't get caught up in our current government, the Republicans, the Democrats, the liberals, the this, the that. Get caught up in Jesus and vote and do your homework and do those other things that we should do. But be very careful what you get caught up in and what you spend your time talking about. To make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. You see, these verses speak to the believer and we are to share God's goodness even to the unbeliever, as I just mentioned. You see, when we think about kingdoms or empires, we can be reminded of the Akkadians, Egypt, Japan, Babylon, Rome, Mongol, Russian, Qing, Ottoman, British, to name just a few. Just a few. So here's a question. Are any of those kingdoms still ruling and reigning today? Do any of them have dominion over the world? Answer, no. They they have come and gone with minor remnants of power still in existence, but no kingdoms. But as believers today, and every believer who has gone before us, we are a part, guys, This is so important for you and me today. We are a part of an everlasting kingdom. What David proclaimed 3,000 years ago is still today. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And just do a little study if you want to. All the kingdoms who have come and gone over the last five, 6,000 years. They've come and gone. God's kingdom is still there. It's in heaven. A kingdom not made with human hands. You see, God designed a kingdom and is eternal in the heavens. And that's where you and I as believers are going to go to when we take our last breath on this earth. You see, the things that David saw then and what we see today show us just a small portion of the eternal majestic kingdom. Just as his kingdom is eternal, his throne is as well. Thrones have come and gone. I think it's pretty cool they've unearthed another um chamber in Egypt where a mummy has been buried, a king was buried, a pharaoh was buried. Big whoop. There's his bones. It's wrapped real. Wow, that's really cool. Some gold, some silver, this and that. Where is he? Is he with God in his eternal kingdom? I have no idea. God knows. So even though we look at these things, they're very interesting, but no other throne can claim that. With all the power that has come and gone, God's power still remains with all the majesty, with all the longevity. You see, here's the question for you and I. Does the believer behave as if they are part of an eternal kingdom? Do you and I, do we behave as if we're a part of an eternal kingdom? I would have to say for most, no. We're too short-sighted, just like as we read our Bible, just like the Israelites, just like Peter and the boys. Let's wipe out the Romans. Hosanna, Hosanna. 
Many of those Jews who were saying Hosanna as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, less than a week later were saying, crucify him, crucify him. He can't deliver us from Rome. Crucify him. Temporal kingdom. Temporal kingdom. And most people are trying to build a temporal kingdom in the here and now. We're too busy building our own little kingdoms here on this earth to really take time to ponder, to meditate, or to really grasp the eternal kingdom. I encourage you to really meditate because I am excited about getting there. I am so excited about going to heaven. 1,500 miles high. 1,500 miles square. The glory of God totally illuminating all of heaven. No shadows. No shadows whatsoever. Total glory. The colors are going to be unimaginable. The glory of God, again, the peace of God overwhelming us in and through our whole lives, seeing the Father, seeing Jesus, seeing the Holy Spirit who has done such wonderful works in our lives. You see, that's the kingdom that I'm looking forward to. Yes, I vote, and yes, I do other things, just so you know. Yes, I take care of my house and my vehicles and the things that God has blessed me. I'm not teaching irresponsibility at all. So don't even go there. We're supposed to be responsible and take care of things. Even this earth, picking up trash, doing the best that we can do to take care of this temporal earth. But first and foremost, are you focused on eternity? Do you really realize there's a kingdom in heaven that has not changed ever, ever? God's on the throne. Verses 14 through 16, David points to God as the provider of all things in these verses. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. You are my king. You see, David really meditated on God. And pondered about God. And extolled or exalted or lifted his name on high. Verses 17 through 21. Lastly, David expresses his heart about the intimate relationship that he has with the God of the universe. Again, I have these next three verses highlighted. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Again, we don't know when David wrote this. But notice what he says. So maybe he's young and maybe you're young and maybe your life has been what you kind of think has been tough as a teenager. God is righteous and he has a plan and a purpose for your life in your 20s or 30s or whatever age you might be. Are you willing to say the Lord is righteous in all his ways? Gracious In all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. Notice that at the end of verse 18. In truth. So if we're living a lie in our Christian faith. Then we shouldn't expect God to listen to our prayers. 
Even David proclaimed that. God cannot listen to the prayers of iniquity. So for you and I, we have to be right with God. He will fulfill the desires of those who reverence Him, who fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. For you and I, guys, we have this wonderful opportunity 3,000 years later to read this psalm and to ask ourselves, do I see myself in this psalm? Do I see myself? Do I see myself exalting God? Lifting His name up? Am I remembering how God took care of me when I received Jesus in 1978? How God is taking care of me through my bad choices, through my poor decisions, through my shortcomings. Has God taken care of me? Do I see that? Personally, yes, I do. And I praise Him and thank Him for that. Do you? And if you do, are you giving the praise he so deserves for that? Well, how did you get to this place this day? I'm not just saying Calvary Chapel, but in your Christian faith. How did you get here? And how are you maintaining that? And what is your Christian faith going to look like a year from now? If your answer in your mind is based upon what you have done, what you have done, what you have done, wrong answer. It's what has the Holy Spirit done in you and through you. And yes, we do have our responsibilities of reading and praying. Yes, I get that. I do that. But first and foremost, I always give the credit to God. To the Holy Spirit who's working in me and through me. And give me the abilities that I have. You see, we have the Word of God on our laps this morning. And we have the same opportunity to have the same type of relationship with God. As David proclaims certain truths here. Truths that the enemy is constantly trying to twist into lies, such as marriage. This is reality, whether you're single or you don't want to hear about this. This is reality, so I'm going to tell it to you. As a pastor, marriage is under attack. Why? Because it represents Christ and the church. It's that plain and simple. Those of you who are married, wake up. It represents Christ and the church. How are you doing with that? And why would an unbeliever want to even be married if you're not doing well with that? Why would they care? I could be happy without the piece of paper. I could be happy without your Bible. You're miserable. Look at how you talk about your mate when they're not around. Look at what you put on Facebook about your mate. Look at what you're doing. Guys, we are the church, not them. And so we have a responsibility to lead them and to give them that example that they need to see that Christ makes a difference. And through that example, who knows if we might lead someone to Jesus Christ, that they might accept him as their personal savior. Stay in God's word, guys. And you and I will not fall into the lies that the enemy is trying to perpetrate even this day. But rather, as David is doing here, look forward 
to the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. Father, yours is the eternal kingdom. And we know you have a plan and a purpose. And the disciples finally saw that. We don't blame them. They didn't get it because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. But once the Holy Spirit came in them, once the Holy Spirit came upon them, they then went out and preached about the eternal kingdom. And they no longer sought after their own kingdom. Father, help us to evaluate our responsibilities and that we would not be trying to build a kingdom of our own on this side of heaven. Help us to be responsible, but also to have our responsibilities in priority. That we would be investing in the word of God daily. That we'd be praying on a regular basis. That we'd be meeting with other believers to disciple and be disciple, to mentor and be mentored, to encourage and strengthen those who are hurting, to reach out to the unbeliever, Father, that we might encourage them in living biblical truths, but first and foremost receiving Jesus as their Savior. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Father. May the words we've heard today pierce our hearts and make us faithful ambassadors for you. You know, as the saints are praying, again, maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to pray a little prayer, and it's not the prayer. I don't have this prayer written down. I'm just going to pray. But if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, if right now in your heart you've come to realize, you know, I am a sinner. And I do need a Savior. There is a kingdom. And I want to be a part of that kingdom. then you can receive Jesus right now as your Savior. And there are people around you who are praying for you. They're interceding on your behalf right now for the spiritual warfare that's going on in your mind right now. They're praying for clarity in your mind right now. And that you would really realize that heaven is real and hell is real. So if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior... Just pray this simple prayer right now after me. God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And that my kingdom is not going to last. I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus to die on a cross, to be buried and to rise again for my salvation. 
And so right now, I invite Jesus to be my Savior. To come into my life. God, I invite the Holy Spirit to come into my life and to teach me about you and Jesus via your word. I thank you for the free gift of salvation. And I thank you that I can now call you Father, my Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. May we go out and be faithful ambassadors for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, please come up. We have a Bible for you. We'd love to meet with you and pray with you. Have a blessed week, guys. Remember all the things that are going on. God bless. Have a great day. Still into love